So I'll turn to the, the Gospel of John together, the New Testament Gospel of John. We're going to be looking at uh, chapter 8, verse 12 this morning, but I'd like to start where John starts at the beginning of his Gospel. Chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 5. So let's start in John 1, 1 through 5. Let's listen to the words of God together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. Amen. Let's go to our God in prayer. Heavenly Father, would you open our eyes to behold Jesus as the light of the world in such a way that we would all be changed and transformed into his image. We ask this in his name. Amen. Amen. There was a BBC documentary from 2008 called Total Isolation. It covered the study of British scientists who studied the effects of solitary confinement for 48 hours in complete darkness. 48 hours doesn't seem that long, does it? Two days without any light. It doesn't seem like anything too bad would happen during that period of time for those who would undergo that experiment. But there were six volunteers for that experiment, one of which was a comedian named Adam Bloom. For two days, Adam sat in total darkness and silence. His only occasional comfort was the meals that they would bring him. So when they, when they got him ready, uh, took him down to the bunker and finally closed that door, he spent the first half an hour in darkness, talking, singing, making jokes. He's a comedian, so he's trying to spend his time there, but after about 30 minutes, he's bored. And he decides to lay on the bed there that they provided for him, and just after 30 minutes, his mind starts being anxious and he starts to worry that maybe something was going to happen to his fiance while he's down there or to his family. And would, would the people who are conducting this experiment uh, let him know if anything happened? Within a few hours, he fell asleep, woke up, and he would doze on and off. But without any light, without any way to track the time, he didn't know if it was day or night. That would drive me crazy. <laughs> Pretty quickly. After 18 hours, he started to get paranoid. At one point, he started singing, and then he burst into tears. And then he began to expect and wonder if this whole experiment was a trick, and they were just going to leave him down here. He, couldn't he, he knew that was unreasonable, but he couldn't shake the, the feelings of paranoia that were beginning to affect him. And it got worse and worse until after 48 hours there in darkness, he began to hallucinate. 
he saw a pile of 500 oyster shells. I don't know if he actually counted them, but he had a lot of time, so maybe he did. Uh, 500 oyster shells, and he recounted, I could see the pearly sheen on the oyster shells as clear as day. And then he began to feel like the room was taking off from underneath him. He's hallucinating. This darkness was driving him close to insanity. And, and for the others who undergo, uh, underwent this experiment, similar kind of hallucinations happened to them as well. 48 hours in complete darkness, and those are the effects that it would have on individuals. And just as physical darkness can drive us to physical and mental insanity, the spiritual darkness of sin drives us to spiritual insanity. It's why we do the very things that hurt ourselves. And we do the things that hurt those that we love. It's why we go after short pleasure knowing, but forgetting in the moment, the long-term guilt and consequences that are going to result. It's why we run from God. It's why we reject God when we know that he's the one who made us. And he's the one who's over us and we're accountable to him. The Bible describes this condition as darkness. Yet into this darkness, God sends a light. And Jesus, in the second of his I am statements in the Gospel of John, says in John 8, 12. Let's turn there. John 8, 12. And Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, meaning the life-producing light, the light that brings about life. So we're going to ask two questions about Jesus' words here, his, his claim and statement that he is the light of the world. First question is, what does it mean for Jesus to be the light of the world? And secondly, how will I respond to Jesus as the light of the world? First, what does it mean for Jesus to be the light of the world? What did he mean by this I am statement here? So in order to understand that, we need to understand where he's at when he makes this statement. Back in uh, the previous chapter, John 7 verse 2 says now, the Jews' Feast of Booths was at hand. So that's where Jesus is at when this takes place. The Jewish Feast of Booths, uh, sometimes translated the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles. And this was a Jewish festival uh, that took place sometime in September or October time period. And it was a feast to remember God's faithfulness to Israel during their 40 years in the wilderness. And because Israel lived in tents during that time, if you remember... During the Feast of Booths, they would set up all of these tents around Jerusalem made of leafy shelters, and that's where they would stay uh, during this festival. And at the Feast of Booths, one particularly striking display took place in the temple complex, the area uh, including the temple and surrounding it. So in the temple, there was an area called the Court of Women, and in that Court of Women, there was a was the temple treasury where they would take up the offerings and collections. And that's where you find out in chapter 8, verse 20, that's where Jesus was when he, when he made this statement. Uh, 
Similar to our love for lights around Christmas time, there was a remarkable lighting of four massive golden lampstands that took place in the temple court of women. And the, the lighting of these lamps, we find uh, the details of that from historical records during this time. One record says there were golden them and four ladders to each candlestick. So you had to have ladders to get to the top of these lampstands. They're huge. And men uh, would pour jars of oil into each of the bowls at the top. And for wicks of these candles, they would take used priest garments as the, the wicks and light them on fire. And they set the candles alight. And the history records that there was not a courtyard in Jerusalem that did not reflect the light of these massive candlesticks. D.A. Carson, in his commentary on John, he tells even more about the celebrations that happen. Men of, good, men of piety and good works danced through the night, holding burning torches in their hands, singing psalms and praises, and the Levitical orchestras cut loose. And some sources attest that this went on every night of the Feast of Tabernacles. So this was quite the celebration with quite the display of light. So Jesus, in this festival, in this very place, the treasury and the court of women stands and proclaims, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in Darkness. I don't know if he doesn't say whether he made that statement during the day when, when, the, when the lamps were out or during the night when they were on. I hope it was during the night because that would just look awesome uh, for him to say. We don't know, though. But either way, Jesus is using that very vivid display of light and pointing it to himself as the light of the world. But what does it mean for Jesus to be the light of the world? Biblically, throughout, throughout the Bible, the imagery of light refers to truth and it refers to holiness. So first, Jesus perfectly reveals the truth. Metaphor of light is 105. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Proverbs 6.23 says, for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. Jesus says the light spoke the very truth and very words of God. He says in John 12, 49, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. Jesus, as the light, spoke the perfect truth and the revelation that God the Father had given him to speak. So during his lifetime, the people were astounded at the teaching of Jesus because he spoke as one who had authority and not as the scribes who apparently didn't speak like they had authority. But Jesus spoke and he had this authority about him. Just in the previous chapter in John 7, 46, the, the Pharisees sent the temple police to go arrest Jesus. Temple police get to Jesus and they hear his teaching and they don't arrest him. And they go back to the Pharisees and the Pharisees ask him, why didn't you arrest him? And they say in, in verse 46, no one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like this man. And you read through the Gospels and you will see the truth in their statement. 
there is an authority with which Jesus speaks, a way in which you don't just read and hear his words, but his words read you. They expose your heart. They expose your motives. There's no getting around them. They're, when you hear them, you know you're hearing the truth. Just like light is self-authenticating. When, you, when there's light, it proves itself. When you hear the words of Jesus, they prove themselves. You know you are hearing truth. But contrary to the view that Jesus in his teaching just went around telling people to, how to be that infuriated people. He said things that got people attempting to throw him off a cliff at one time. And at other times, starting to look for stones to throw at him. That's not just telling people to be nice. Nobody, nobody, probably nobody's going to throw a stone at you for you just tell, hey, can't we just all be nice? He said, thing, he said and did things that eventually got him arrested and executed. This is not the typical Jesus that some would like to think that Jesus was. Jesus didn't come into our world to preach a message of be nice and can't we all just get along. He came to give us the truth. No one was more filled with grace when he preached the truth than Jesus was. Yet the truth about God and ourselves is not what we as sinful human beings like to hear. And we need to all ask ourselves, am I a person who really wants to know the truth? Or am I just interested in hearing and believing the things that affirm how I want to live my life and what I want to believe? Jesus may not tell you what you most want to hear, but he will tell you what you most need to hear. And that's the truth. Following Jesus means not picking and choosing the teachings of Jesus that you like, the ones that bring joy to your life, and you just discard the rest. Following Jesus means that when you come to the words of Jesus that are difficult for you to believe and to follow, your response needs to be, he's right, so I must be wrong. That's, that's Jesus as the light. He perfectly reveals the truth of God to us. Secondly, Jesus as the light perfectly reveals purity and holiness to us. 1 John 1, 5 says, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is light. There is no sin in God. And the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus as God in the flesh was without any sin. Jesus in John 8, 46 says, Which one of you convicts me of sin? Which one of you can prove me guilty of sin? And in 1 John 3, 5, John writes, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Our world had never seen a sinless man until the light of the world came into our world. Ever since the fall of Adam into sin, every man and woman was a world, and he alone was the light. And as the eternal Son of God, he revealed what perfect holiness looked like. Perfect holiness. 
Now, that may initially seem like Jesus must have been unapproachable. You know, sometimes we think of holy people or those who just kind of separate from society, separate from sinners. And, and if you really want to hear what they have to say, you got to go out to them, go out into their cave or whatever and, and hear what they have to say. But they're not going to go in. The holy Jesus goes into the midst of sinners. He welcomed sinners. He ate with people who were new, who, who were known all throughout town for being notorious sinners, prostitutes eating with Jesus, the tax collectors, eating with Jesus. The light of the world, this is amazing, was not put off by being around people whose lives were stained with the darkness of sin. Because Jesus' holy life was not only meant to be a model for us as his people to follow, his holy life was lived so that he might be the spotless sacrifice for sinners. 1 Peter 1.19 says that we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ like that without a blemish or spot. What an amazing reality. The, the perfectly holy God in human form is a friend of sinners. While we were sinners, he died for us. So don't look at the perfect holiness of Jesus and come to the conclusion that you're too sinful for him to save you. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that holds true for every one of us. Jesus' mission was not to tell sinners how they can save, him, save themselves. He came to do the saving, which brings us to the third aspect of what it means for Jesus to be the light of the world. Jesus, thirdly, is the Savior of the nations. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah foretold of the servant of the Lord who would be a light for the nations. And as the light, this servant would bring God's salvation to the ends of the earth. Two passages from Isaiah that I'll read. Isaiah 42, 6 through 7 says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out of the prisoners, bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit. In darkness. In Isaiah 49, 6. Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. God's salvation for the nations would come through the servant of the Lord, through his promised Messiah. The light of the world who died for our sins and rose three days later, would be the Savior not only of the Jews, but of people from every nation. And this is what we see in the, in the book of Acts. We see this happening. The light of the gospel starts, starts to spread from Jerusalem. The light expands throughout Israel and then begins moving further from nation to nation. And the light of Christ now in our day has cast its glow on countless nations, tribes, and languages. And millions, if not billions, of those who once lived in darkness have seen the light and salvation of Christ. 
Jesus and Jesus alone is the light of the nations. He is the one through which God's salvation is reaching to the ends of the earth. And it's that truth that sends us as God's people to the nations. Jesus is not merely a light among many lights. He is the light of the world. There is no other light. There is no other savior for the nations. There is no notion in the Bible, in Jesus, or in the apostles, of what I heard one modern theologian, if you even want to call him a theologian, um, that Jesus is the privileged route to salvation, but not the only way of salvation. He says, even an atheist of goodwill can be saved. Can you imagine Jesus saying that? Can you imagine the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter saying anything like that? No, what propelled the apostles with the gospel to the nations was the truth that apart from the preaching of the gospel, no one would be saved. Peter says in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 10, 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And that's what sent Paul to the nations. If people could be saved apart from faith in Christ, simply by following their conscience or whatever religion they happen to grow up with, the most effective missionary strategy would be for us to stay home. If people could be saved apart from faith in Christ simply by following whatever religion they happen to hold to, then the most effective missionary strategy would be for us to shut our mouths. Otherwise, we might risk ruining it for people by telling them about Jesus, giving them a chance to reject Jesus. Jesus did not die a horrific death under the wrath of God route to salvation. He is the only Savior. No one could be saved except through faith in Him. This is why the McPhail Fosses left everything they knew and loved in Michigan and went with the message of Jesus to Cameroon. Men and women have sacrificed everything, their very lives, so that those who have never heard the name of Jesus would hear the name of Jesus. And maybe God is calling you to do the same. To forsake all you know and love, and that is comfortable for you, to a people who have never heard the name of Jesus. How else are they going to hear unless someone goes and tells them? Jesus and Jesus alone is the light of the world. When we're confronted with that truth about Jesus, we can't just remain neutral observers. Jesus and his words force us to a decision. And there's two responses to Jesus as the light of the world that we see in the Gospel of John. And you need to ask yourself, what decision have I made and am I making? So how will I respond to Jesus as the light of the world? First, 
we see in the Gospel of John, some will hate the light. John 3, John 3, 19 through 21, John writes this, and this is the judgment, or, that, or this is the condemnation. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. These verses describe one of the foundational reasons, if not the foundational reason, why people reject Jesus Christ. John says people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Why do we reject Jesus? Because we love darkness rather than light. We love our sin instead of the holiness that God commands us. And it's not just that we love our sin and that we're indifferent to Jesus. John says, everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. That's the natural response to people hearing the gospel of Jesus. The natural response is not when, when somebody hears the gospel and the message of Jesus, yes, I've got to have that. Tell me more. No, the natural response is don't tell me that. I don't want to hear that. Why? Because we don't want our sinful hearts exposed. We don't want to feel the shame of our sin that we should be feeling. We don't want to deal with the condemnation that we're under because of our Sin. We don't like the light shining on our lives because it exposes our sin. Did you ever have a parent who liked to wake you up in the morning by flipping on the lights? So you're in complete darkness, and then mom or dad comes in there and just hits the light. Anybody have a parent like that? I know Pastor Mike did because he told me about that. All right. I, I wonder if your reaction when that happened was, Thanks, Mom. I appreciate you turning on the lights. That's going to really help me wake up now. Probably not. Your reaction was most likely, ah, turn off the lights. It covers over your head. You don't want to deal with the light. And sadly, as humorous as that is, not so humorously, that's the way our hearts respond to the light of Jesus when his holiness and his commands and his call on our life comes to us. I don't want to hear that. Turn the light off. When we hear the words of Jesus, we hear his claims. When we hear the gospel message preached that we are sinners and that Jesus alone is able to save us, we naturally respond with hatred toward that message. Now, there are, there are many barriers that keep people from coming to faith in Christ. There are, there are intellectual barriers. Maybe some of you would say, I have intellectual barriers uh, to becoming a Christian. I'm not sure about all these claims of Christianity. And, and I'm, I'm all in favor of, of dealing with honest questions that people have about Christianity and giving, giving good reason answers in response to those things. But there's a moral, there's a moral barrier to people becoming Christians as well. And that's likely the greatest barrier for most of us. 
We hear the teachings of the Bible, the teachings of Jesus, and we don't like what we hear. It interferes with our self-rule. The last thing in the world that we want is for God to tell us how to live our lives. We don't want to let go of our sin, our greed, our lust, our sexual immorality, our anger, our wrapped around those things, and we don't want to give them up. And if that's you today, I don't know who that is, but if that's you, I want you to please consider how short your life is and how long eternity is. All the pleasures you could experience in this life are not worth an eternity under the wrath of God. Do, do you see the worthlessness of choosing a life of sin and rejecting the life that Jesus offers to you? Do you see the twisted reality of your heart that you would hate the one who is your only hope of salvation? But God is, is merciful to you today. He's brought you to this place where you would hear his gospel and where you would hear that Jesus is your hope of salvation. He is the light for you in the darkness of your sin. Jesus died and rose again so that those who live in darkness could be freed from it, forgiven of it, and live in the liberty of life that is freed from that guilt freed from that shame, and now free to live a life of holiness with him. Do you see the love of Christ that's offered to you? Will you hate the Savior that loves sinners enough to die for them? Or will you bow the knee today and lay down your sword and call on him to save you? Turn from your sin today and come to Christ, who is the light. So some, when confronted with the light, will hate the light, but others, and this is the only right, rightful response to Jesus as the light, some will believe in the light, and they will follow the light. John 1, 9 through 12 says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him become children of God. Those who believed in the light were given the right to become children of God. And, and later in John, Jesus says, it, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light to bear the image of the one who is the light. And for all those who do believe in Christ, they will follow the light. Remember Jesus' words back in John 8, 12, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I heard it put recently, Jesus is not a light to be admired. He's a light to be followed. And that word that follow that Jesus uses here, was used in ancient literature for a soldier following his commander, a slave following his master, someone following a wise counselor, someone following the law obediently. So just as Israel followed that pillar of cloud and fire in the wilderness, leading them eventually to the promised land, 
believers in Jesus will follow his light through this life, leading them to their future eternal home with him. There's no, there's no category in scripture of a believer in Christ who's not a follower of Christ. If you believe in him, you will follow him. Now, that doesn't mean that you're always you're going to follow him as you should. We will all follow Jesus in a very imperfect way. You know, how far each of our lives are from the perfect holiness of Jesus. Yet, through the limping, through the, the many falls and failures and stumbling along the way, Jesus' people will follow him. The children of the light will follow the light. Somehow he takes those who were once lost in darkness and by his power they begin to bear his light for the world to see. So Faith Church, Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light of the world, but he intends to use us as his people, as lights in the world as well. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14 to 16, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The church of God is meant to be a bright, shining light to the surrounding world that is in darkness so that they might clearly see. That is, our, our distinctive lives of holiness and good works show to the nations and to our neighborhood the reality of Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves as a church, are we being the light of the world that Christ has called us to be? Do our places of work in our schools see us shining as lights in the darkness? Do your neighbors see something strange yet beautiful in the way that you live your life, in the way that your family lives your life together with God at the center? Or it's, it's only as we seek to faithfully follow the light that we can be the light of the world that Christ has called us to be. And I want to ask a question to all of us, myself included, we all need to Ask ourselves this, in what areas have you yet to begin following the light? Even as a follower of light, what area have you yet to begin following the light? The, the darkness of, of sin still remains in our thinking and in our behaviors. It doesn't automatically get completely erased when you become a believer. But Christ intends to shine his light into areas of your life and in your heart that still need to follow him. So kind of view your heart as a house. And Jesus is progressively over time going from room to room and turning on those lights. Sometimes a dimmer switch. <laughs> uh, that's nice. It's more bearable. Sometimes he just flips them all on in that room at the same time and you're just exposed. And still is. Maybe as we've been going through this series on the Ten Commandments, that's what God has been doing for you through his law, turning on those lights. And if God has exposed an area of darkness, a room of darkness in your own heart and life through that study, 
let, let his light shine in that area. Begin walking in the light in that area. Confess it. Be forgiven of it. And begin taking steps today, this week, to begin walking in the light in those areas that God is shining his light through, through Christ. Another question for us all to ask ourselves, how are we doing at being lights in our community? Churches be can become distinctive communities that keep a good distance from the world surrounding them. We can become so fearful of being contaminated by the world that we rarely come in contact with the world. So we're satisfied with personal piety, lots of Bible studies to make ourselves more holy, yet the world around us remains far from Christ. That's not what Christ intends for us to be. Yes, the gospel calls us out of the world to follow Christ, but it calls us back into the world with the gospel so that others might follow Christ. Jesus is the light of the world. Whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Are you following him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how beautiful Jesus is, how glorious he is as our light. Thank you that you did not look down on this world darkened by sin and seeing each of us in our sinfulness and leave us in our darkness, but you sent a light. For those who are hearing your word this morning and the gospel call of Jesus, may they turn from darkness to light and find salvation in Jesus' name. Do that work by your spirit, God. And for those of us who have believed in the light, help us to faithfully follow the light, that our lives might be holy and beautiful, a witness to the reality of Jesus, to our world around. Come to faith in Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.